From the secret hideout of Headley Lamar, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Now, two guys who didn't bring enough gum for everybody, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, Headley Lamar. Come on, Corey, give us the shout out. That was brought to you by Tav Rainey. Rhymes with Lon Chaney. And that's it. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> Mark, what are you reading? I'm reading uh, something that you had handed me. <laughs> that, you know... You blew the, you blew the whole thing. I did. Okay, fine. Normally, you blew the setup. Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> normally, I would have uh, thrown this away and laughed at it, but I really wonder if I should make something from the unofficial Hunger Games cookbook. Right. Right? But, you know, it's funny. Blah. They, uh, it's funny when I when they uh, I got the, uh, the the outreach from the publicist. Would you be interested in the Hunger Games cookbook? I was like, yeah, because all we do is talk about movies and food on this show. That's like, why not? <laughs> the show has evolved, hasn't it? It has. <laughs> well, some of the uh, I've made nothing from this. I just was handed this five minutes ago. Um, I guess the cookbook uh, includes recipes that are. In the and this just came yesterday. We haven't had a chance to actually try to make any of this stuff, but we're we are talking about it today because this is the week that the Hunger Games comes out on Blu-ray. Like a cheesy, and, uh, meaty hash brown casserole. I guess that's in, it, it. Gives you the the book and the chapter that the recipe is in. Yeah, like cheesy, meaty hash brown casserole is in Mockingjay chapter twenty-four. Mm-hmm. This bizarre, uh, the bizarre yet nonetheless helpful tigress makes this casserole for Katniss's team before their final showdown with the capital. This filling breakfast treat, when viewed in comparison to the other breakfast that Katniss has enjoyed in the capital, is symbolic of the current depressed state of affairs in the city. <laughs> and is... each recipe has a tip from your sponsor. Oh, boy. TMI. So uh, there's black bean parsnip soup, uh, roasted chestnuts, uh, butter parsley mashed potatoes, yeah. uh, creamed goose over crumbled bacon polenta. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh now, can so... you make that without goose? That kind of sounds both... Good and disgusting at the same time. Now, that's from Catching Fire, Chapter 6. No capital banquet is complete without several fancy fowl dishes. Even the evil President Snow would want to stop to enjoy this delicious goose with bacon polenta, although it may be too rich for Katniss's taste, which is to say maybe too rich for your taste. Actually, that sounds good. And then they have desserts like uh, harvest apple pie, Mm. uh, ginger cookies, and uh, chocolate custard bread pudding with caramel sauce. I noticed that nothing here has over, like, ten ingredients. So these are relatively uh, easy. They're kind of well, easy. Well, you know to make. how things are after the apocalypse. There aren't that many ingredients left. I don't know what. You know, now, in, in, in the Hunger Games, which I, I did not read the series, uh, everybody's poor, right? Well, except for the, the Donald Sutherland. Except for the rich people? The, uh, Donald Sutherland and all the people who have, you know, funky colored hair. I, I like how they have the breaded Italian pork chops for the brave. Yeah. As opposed to the breaded, breaded Italian pork chops for the, uh, for the weak, for the know. timid. Anyway, so uh, this is the unofficial Hunger Games cookbook. These all look uh, fairly easy. They yeah. all look uh, fairly fine, I guess. I'll make something. I don't know. Yeah, nice. Although, you know what? I really hate to put this on my, my counter because you've got, you know, <laughs> you got the Julia Child book. you got the New York Times cookbooks. Sure. you got the Martha Stewart cookbooks. And then there it is, the unofficial Hunger Games cookbook. Nice. Thereby proclaiming, the, be, proclaiming me the lamest cook in the world. <laughs> 150 recipes. That's great. I should give this to a uh, Hunger Games uh, member. I I think there's a member of my family who loves the Hunger Games. I should give it to her. Why not? Anyway, so uh, that's the unofficial Hunger Games cookbook by Emily and Sarah Baines. You know, we got a great show today. We've got uh, we got a box box. We've got uh, (laughs) which is Wade's way of saying the show will now improve. Yes, the show will now improve compared to the last five minutes Uh, of talking about the Hunger Games cookbook. We're going to talk about another book in a second. But we've uh, you know we 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 got DVDs, we have got Blu-rays, we got uh, a box box, maybe two box boxes. We'll see how the time goes. And uh, a giveaway, Mark. We got a giveaway. What we do? We have a giveaway. But first, I'm going to talk about this other book. Which I think is something very special. Because um, it was a good friend of ours, a Lafka colleague, who wrote it. Bravo to Charles Solomon, 
for the Toy Story films, an animated journey. You know what? Uh, get a this. This has a yeah, forward by Hayao Miyazaki and an afterward by John Lasseter. So Charles's book is bookended by two of the greatest living animation icons, and one from Japan, one from uh, Pixar, of course. And you know what, Mark? This is a great book. Come on, tell people. This is like the awesome coffee table book. This is the first big thing you should be putting on your, your holiday gift list. It is a great book. I, a great re- book. I remember when the, uh, when the Toy Story uh, box set came out on DVD. Yep. That was considered like the ultimate way to, to express and put on your shelf your Toy Story love. Now I think this book is. This book is great. And, I mean, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, Charles is, uh, is sort of our resident animation expert in Lafka. Um, everyone defers to Charles. He is truly an animation historian. It is his love. It is his passion. He has seen just about every animated frame ever created in humankind. And uh, he, he's, just, uh, he's just a mensch. We, we just love him dearly. And uh, this is such a beautiful coffee table book. It's these full-color, hardcover, glossy sketches, um, uh, all the you know, little storyboards, um, uh, pro, you know, conceptual artwork, uh, frames from the movies. It's just uh, – and the whole history of the Toy Story films is laid out. Like here, this is – I love this stuff right here. This is on, um, on page 43. It has uh, two charts, two hand-drawn charts. One is the Disney animation production flow from story to treatment – through the effects animation, the in-between work, the cleanup. And the other one is the computer animation production flow, which shows you how it goes from treatment to pre-production artwork, the background design, character design, character modeling. I mean, these two complicated flow charts. And you look at this and you go, holy crap. This is like, this is such a daunting process. This isn't like making a regular movie. This isn't like, okay, you know, let's get the cameras out and put them in, you know, shoot the actors, say some dialogue and edit it and put it together. I mean, there are, there are teams of people all working simultaneously on different things who all have to be coordinated toward each other and the final product. It is an unbelievable amount of work. And Well, don't forget, too, is that the original Toy Story, we're talking 1995. Was that was, and that was the first film to actually pioneer this stuff. And, you know. and imagine being the pioneer of something that is still complicated today. Imagine how complicated it was 17 years ago Amazing. or 18 years ago when they were making the film. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at the difference between Toy Story 1 and 2, like in Toy Story, the camera never moved. No. Everything was a, a quote-unquote lockdown. Yep. But in Toy Story 2... That was a bit uh, yeah, amazing they were, they because were, they were pushing it because they really they moved the camera, they rack focused, they did stuff in ways that they couldn't do with Toy Story. So I mean, this is this is the beauty of this book. This book will give you insights uh, that you you never would have imagined having any other way. It's it's a terrific job. I know Charles has been working on this for quite some time, and uh, he is very proud of it, and he has every reason to be. And uh, I just cannot say enough about it. We we wholeheartedly, enthusiastically recommend this to put on anybody's holiday gift list who has uh, any kind of love for the Toy Story films, they will not be disappointed. Absolutely terrific. Now, should we do the... Here's the thing. We could talk about upcoming uh, uh, Blu-rays, or we could talk about uh, all this children's stuff. You know, I'm going to blow through the children's stuff, Mark. We, we gotta, you told we, me this would gotta, take 10 minutes. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can. You blow said 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I'm going to time you. Hang on. Okay. Uh, don't start yet. I'm going to try to do it less than 10 minutes. Uh, you know what? That'd be fantastic. Okay. Now, uh, this is... Uh, okay, I'll give you the... Um, I'll give you the three. You know what? I'm going to time you. So the timer will go off if it takes you more than 10 minutes to do this, and then you will be horribly embarrassed and uh, possibly drop dead from embarrassment. Okay, um, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, you got 10 minutes starting right now. All right, I'm running like Allison Felix. Uh, the Adventures of Tintin, Season 3. This is the final season of the animated Tintin show, or Tintin, if you want to be uh, uh, linguistically correct. Uh, so much better than the Spielberg film because it's really it's true to the, the, you know, the, the Hervé... Um, animation, the, the stuff from the comic books. It's absolutely terrific. And if you have the other two seasons, you've got to get this one. It's just a joy. Um, we've got a trio of Power Rangers stuff here. The original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the, uh, the crazy, insane Saban show that started it all, where he went and he found this Japanese show and he shot some new stuff in the U- U.S. and edited it all together so that they had uh, Caucasian faces underneath those masks. And next thing you know, you have this ridiculous phenomenon that has j- it just won't go away. This is Season 1, Volume 1, the first 30 episodes on three discs of uh, the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which incredibly has never been on DVD before. Every other Power Rangers show has been uh, put on DVD. This one has not been. So finally, back to the origins, right? 
Fa. Fa. Then we also have uh, Power Rangers Super Samurai, the super-powered black box volume one, and uh, the Power Rangers Super Samurai Super Showdown volume two. Uh, this is a new DVD, pretty much the same kind of junk. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Um, the Superhero Squad show, The Infinity Gauntlet, season two, volume four, just won't go away. We, uh, we're not fond of the, the whole, uh, tweaked micro version of, uh, these superheroes, the whole Marvel thing kind of reduced to a, uh, Tiny Toons element, but you know what, uh, it, it, it clearly has been going for years and a lot of kids love it, so there you go. Who am I to judge the kids? Uh, got some anime here. Great stuff from Funimation. Uh, season 4, Voyage 1 of One Piece, which is that swashbuckling, wacky, crazy, eccentrically animated uh, bit of anime. A lot of people love this. It's uh, kind of anime piracy. It's like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean done anime style. And then also here we have Collection 7 of One Piece. Now, um, I'm not even going to try and explain how this all fits together because Season 4, Voyage 1 is Episodes 206 to 217. And uh, collection number seven is is like a whole bunch of different adventures, and I uh, I, I can't keep track of this stuff. So, but if you like one uh, one piece, if you like all that swashbuckling anime, there you go, Gro- groove, rock on. Don't waste time, Wade. I know you only uh, got about eight minutes left. Ah, oh, jeez. Okay, uh, Nickelodeon's. Oh my gosh, Mark, you love this, don't you? You do. You love this. You're wasting time. I know. Seven and a half minutes. Okay, never mind. Uh, This is this is the secret of Lost Kingdom movie. This is basically the. the Winx Club, uh, it, it, you know, Barbies and, uh, you know, sort of like, I don't know, what's the other thing other than, the, than Barbie? What was that, uh, that other bunch Bratz? of balls? Bratz, yeah. This is like Barbie crossed with Bratz crossed with Tinkerbell. They've all got wings and they fly around. They're all little fairies and uh, it's, you know, whatever. It is it's good, good for little girls, I guess. And if you've got really tiny girls, little tiny girls, they're going to love Doc McStuffins. <laughs> Friendship is the best medicine. This is from Disney Doc Junior. Pack McStuffins. Look at the little little little. What is it about, about hippos that they that people think they're cute? They're not cute. They're, they're is it the teeth? They, they they will kill you. Hippopotami will kill you. Um, anyway, uh, this is this little Doc McStuffins, and she's a six year old girl, and she's so cute, and she's just a little doctor. That's all I'm going to say about that one. Uh, the Smurfs and the Magic Fute, Flute. Uh, this is an original, full-length feature film uh, about the Smurfs and a magic flute. Am I moving along quickly? I mean, what else are you going to say? Smurfs and a magic flute. It's like, you it, know what sounds like pornography. When you say you. magic flute to me, I, I think pornography. Uh, the Fresh Beat Band. Where do these people come from? Uh, this is from Nickelodeon, and uh, the, the Fresh Beat Band is another one of these 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 concoctions that Disney and Nickelodeon and all of these these family enterprises do. They just go out and they find people who are a little bit too cheerful, who are on some kind of crazy uppers, and they smack them together and say, "Sing, dance, put on makeup, do that thing that you do," and and suddenly they 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 they're like a hit phenomenon. So the Fresh Beat Band, I find them incredibly annoying, way too cheerful. But they you know, but what what do you want? Um, and there's also a thing on here, a TV movie called The Wizard of Song, which is kind of this weird Wizard of Oz takeoff. It's very creepy. Uh, we've also got VeggieTales, the penniless princess, God's little girl. And uh, the whole VeggieTales thing is just a, it's, it's really, I, I just hate the animation. I really do. But uh, in this case, it's, uh, it's very biblical. I'm just telling you, this is, a, this is basically a Bible story or a, a Bible-derived uh, par- parable. If, you, if, if that uh, offends you or if it makes you happy, just know that going in. The Angry Beavers, Season 3, Part 2 from Nickelodeon as well. Uh, this is more of that kind of Crick inspired animation. Uh, the Angry Beavers are pretty cool, very funny, but kind of creepy. Moving on. Uh, Angelina Ballerina, Dreams Do Come True. I just can't get with the Angelina Ballerina thing. Rodents should not dance, much less wear tutus. But uh, for the little girls that find this uh, encouraging... By all means. Uh, you notice I always make a caveat because people have kids. And, you know, I'm not going to say, look, it's crap and your kid's taste sucks, even if I might think but that. But kids don't even know what they're watching. They don't. They, they, they go, whoa, colors and bright music and <laughs> blah, blah. They have no idea. They're, they're not uh, breaking down its thematic content. No, they're not. Uh, speaking of Fireman Sam, Heroic Rescue Adventures. Oh, my gosh. This just feels so urgent. Uh, you know, Fireman Sam, what do you want? He's a fireman. He saves people. It kind of feels like a watered-down um, 
uh, Thunderbirds, and I much prefer the uh, rescues that the Thunderbirds did. Ooh, the Thunderbirds. I remember when the Thunderbirds sent that, sent one of those giant spaceships to uh, save a kid from a, a parking lot that was on fire. It's awesome. <laughs> the concrete was on fire. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, the Amazing World of Gumball, the DVD. Uh, this is a Cartoon Network thing, and uh, there are times when Cartoon Network just completely goes off the, uh, off the, off the, the ranch. I... I, you know, maybe I should have watched more of this. Maybe I should have really tried to absorb it. But I really don't understand Gumball's world. It's like it's like they went and got a bunch of people who were high on acid to just sit down and do as much weird animation as they possibly could. And hey, it's Gumball! I don't get it. Ever since Teletubbies, which is great, everyone kind of feels like the gloves are off. Anima- every, anything goes in animation. And sometimes, you know, limits would be nice, really. Um... Got another piece from Funimation here, which is uh, CGI animation. This is Oblivion Island, Haruka and the Magic Mirror. This is a feature-length film. I don't know if Haruka and the Magic Mirror was ever a series. Perhaps someone who knows anime could tell me that. But, but I, uh, it, it, this is sort of sweet. It's a little bit uh, Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz-like, and it's, uh, and it's you know mixed with some of those anime iconic uh, ideas that don't really make sense to me. But you know, it's nice, inoffensive. Uh, let's get into some superhero stuff here. We've got Young Justice, Dangerous Secrets from uh, Cartoon Network, which is, of course, you know, teenage Justice League stuff. Um, you know, I like my superheroes grown up, but that being said, Young Justice isn't, isn't horrible, and uh, this continues the, uh, the series. And then we also have from the Marvel Knights line in their eco-packaging, the astonishing X-Men Torn. And, uh, you know, Joss Whedon was uh, integrally integrally involved in this and the animation is outstanding this is from shout factory and uh i think the, the writing is great and the animation is great and i think the uh, the whole marvel knight series is pretty cool uh not from the superhero realm is squidbillies uh volume five and uh you know said it before i'll say it again i, I just don't get it so, but anyway, this is all done up kind of uh, southern redneck style with the artwork and everything. And uh, if you're Squidbillies fan, go knock yourselves out. I'm not going to validate you. Also in eco-packaging is Mia and the Magoo, which is uh, one of those things that gets that family-approved seal that always kind of scares me because it means that uh, it's got a lesson. It's teaching kids something. But you know what? I've got to be honest. The, uh, the animation is, uh, is very nice. It's all uh, hand-drawn 2D animation. Beautiful and uh, really quite a sweet story, to be honest. Uh, it, it's um, it's a you know a nice little tropical uh, lesson on life uh, about this little girl who has to uh, rescue her father who's um, been trapped at a construction site. And it it has a fantasy element, but it also has a, a real sweetness to it and some really good American English language voices that they brought in for the uh, for the dubbing. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Matthew Modine, Wallace Shawn, James Woods. Not bad, right? Love me some James Woods. He was a voice on Family Guy. Totally. Which you don't like? uh, No, I don't. And the Looney Tunes show, There Goes the Neighborhood, uh, 14 episodes. And uh, you know what? I... It, it, it tries to be the old Looney Tunes, doesn't really succeed, but it's, uh, it's got its moments. And it's nice to sort of, uh, you know, see them try at least. So they get an A for effort, two discs, uh, 14 episodes, not bad. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not really superheroes, but they're having kind of a renaissance with these guys. And this is the complete final season of the animated show. And uh, it's fine, eight episodes and, uh, you know, a few bonus features, including a couple of bonus episodes and uh, some interview stuff. Uh, Not bad. You know, I'm not a big Mutant Ninja Turtle fan, but whatever. And then we get a, uh, this is the, well, actually, here, let me do this first before I get to that. Uh, Then we have My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, Royal Pony Wedding. This is not for boys. Just telling you. Mark, what? Oh, that's your 10 minutes. Is that it? Your 10 minutes is over. Okay, I'll finish up. My Little little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and then a Disney live action thing with with, uh, people I don't, I've never heard of called uh, Let It Shine, The Truth. Which is, uh, you know, look, get, just get some, some cute young teenagers and let them sing and dance and, and teach kids another lesson. And I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I don't get it. But there it is. Let it shine. The truth. The music. All right, Wade. Let's talk about some upcoming DVDs or Blu-rays. What oh do you say? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I got through all that. That was okay. very good, by the way. Thank you. You almost got it through. Got the, here's the thing. If you removed my comments, of which there were very few because I was giving you all the chance in the minutes, world. Right? It would have been about 10 minutes. I timed it right. Yes, you did. Okay, Mark, getting into new movies. First. I just said I wanted to talk about new Blu-rays. We are. We're going to talk about new Blu-rays. Well, I mean upcoming Blu-rays. Oh, upcoming Blu-rays, by all means. 
We, we can't just be a show that riffs on children's DVDs that no one's going to buy. All right. We also have to tell our fans what's coming up in the future. Tell them. It's Criterion time, Wade. Criterion just made their November announcements. You want to know what's coming on at Criterion in November, Wade? You don't care. Tell me. Please tell you me. You just care about I'm Power dying Rangers. To know. I'm dying to know. Rashomon. Ooh. I'm telling you. Kurosawa. One of the greats. Uh, weekend. Godard's Weekend. Come on. Yeah, I know. Totally. Uh, which is interesting because uh, another movie called Weekend just came out this week from Criterion, which we're going to talk about. I don't, you, you have to def- In your library, if you could keep track of that, you've got to put the date down because two different weekends. That is true. This is the one from last year. This is the more recent film. Now, this nothing, the, to do with, uh, nothing to do with the guitar film. Now, you're, the new one, you're talking about the gay-themed one. Yes. Which I thought was fine. You didn't like. It's fine. It, it's okay. I, 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 don't, I don't love it. I respect it, but I don't particularly enjoy it. Well, here's something you can enjoy. Wait, the big one, at least as far as I'm concerned, the big Criterion release for November is Heaven's Gate. Damn right. Heaven's Gate, Michael Cimino, of course, the uh, movie that pretty much ended Cimino's career after the Oscar-winning success of The Deer Hunter. Yep. Horribly over budget. Yep. It was, like, was kind of like Cleopatra. People cared about the budget and how it almost sank the studio. Uh, Heaven's Gate, people read about, cared about the budget and how it sank some careers. And then... And now everybody cares about budgets. Before Cleopatra at Heaven's Gate, nobody cared about budgets. Nobody cared about grosses either. Now everybody cares about budgets. Nobody cared about budgets. No one cared about grosses. Well, grosses it's, is more like you know Jaws, and because yeah. look, Jaws was the first film to open in over like a thousand, like a hundred theaters or a thousand theaters. No or one something. cared. No one cared about what movies made. There were only a few movies that that, that where they cared. Because well, because Jaws made over a hundred million dollars. The first yeah, one. Yeah, but prior to that, the only time people really cared it was when these movies became phenomenons or phenomena. Uh, you know, it'd be like uh, Gone with the Wind and Snow White and Dr. Zhivago and Sound of Music. That's when people cared. It was like, oh, my gosh, it's made how much? Other than that, you know, it didn't, nobody really cared. Now, speaking of Cleopatra, uh, Eureka Entertainment, now they're a British company, British distributor. They are going to be releasing in September a, a dual format steelbook edition of Cleopatra. Now, what Eureka did is they licensed Universal's HD transfer for the Blu-ray. So we haven't seen it yet, so I'm not really sure what it looks like, but it looks like it's going to be a great package. But again, it's from a British distributor. Nice. Li- uh, the print license from Universal. We haven't seen it, but it's still Cleopatra, and it's still a gigantic, unbelievable bomb that sank the studio, and that's why we love it. Okay. Because we love big, gigantic, bloated disasters. Is that it for Speaking of big, gigantic, oh, bloated yeah. disaster, wait, Avatar's 3D on Blu-ray. Avatar yeah. Blu-ray 3D, wait, you have already pre-ordered it, haven't you? No, no nobody cares about that. You know, people are kind of pissed off about that, too. About what? That, that it's taken this long. They kind of feel like he's just milking them, and he's just trying to drag it out. And he really is dragging it out, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, of course he is. Uh, anyway, so Avatar uh, 3D coming out. Uh, what else coming out, Wade? Uh, Kino Lorber's got some good stuff coming out uh, in November. They have um, There's a Selznick collection. I think a lot of these are already in public domain, so I don't yeah. know what print they use, but the Selznick collection includes Nothing Sacred, Farewell to Arms, the Original Star is Born, Bird of Paradise, and Little Lord Fauntleroy. And then uh, on November 13th, uh, Kino Lorber will be uh, coming out with a Sergi, Sergi, Sergei, Sergei Eisenstein double feature, two Blu-rays, nice. Battleship Attempt and Strike. Amazing. Pretty much his two most, uh, you know, the two films he's most famous for yep. will be on one Blu-ray. Fabulous. Pretty good. That comes yep. out in uh, November. Good stuff. Anyway, good stuff coming out if you're a, uh, if you're a film historian. Yeah. A lover of historic great films. All right, Mark. Yes. I will pay you. You've been hum- waiting for me to stop so you can yeah. talk about your little joke with the paper. Yeah. Go. I will pay you how much in, in, how much in, in uh, Republic of Wadia money? I don't even know the currency. How much you want? 100000 200000 I have I have Wadia $100,000 bills here. Is, is, now, can I actually. Here. This uh, is one, two, three, four. Is this five, real currency six, I can seven, use at the supermarket eight, and nine. everywhere? One million Wadia, whatever it is. Yeah. Malachams or something. Oh my God! They actually One, gave you two, this. Three, four. These are actual. Why? Well, uh, uh, say million. actual. Two million. They sent me two million. Look at that. And uh, Wadia money. This is actual. Uh, uh, well, yes. actual of course is relative, but this is actual Wadia currency we have been given. And then we got an invite. We the did? Supreme Leader for Life of the Democratic Republic of Wadia, Admiral General Aladdin, cordially compels you to attend the Blu-ray and DVD launch party for his latest award-winning <gasps> film. A party! The Dictator, yes. When is it? Featuring a special live performance by the three, I'm sorry, it's crossed out, two currently surviving members of Menudo, including their new number one single in Wadia, General de Aladdin, S.L. Hombre. 
food, beverages, pussycat dolls, and antibiotics. Tuesday, August 21st, 2012, 6 o'clock p.m. till whenever. Takes place in Sana'a, Yemen. Oh, give me that. I thought it was a real party. That's lame. It's all excited. Free food's coming my way. Ah, uh, that's the whole point. No. And then we have a letter here. I my want free food. Uh, my beloved friend and puppet of the Zionist-controlled Western media, Wade. See, even even put my name on it. Look at Isn't that. Great. Yeah. Cut and paste. I am writing to thank you in advance for your five out of four star review of the upcoming Blu-ray and DVD editions of my film, The Dictator. I regret that I cannot be there in person to guide you during your reviewing process. However, the guards currently posted outside your home and office are there to help you make the right choices. <laughs> <laughs> Please do not feel in any way pressured to write favorable things. You are, of course, completely free to say whatever you wish, just as John Lennon was free to refuse my father an autograph in 1980. JFK was free to refuse him a nuke in 1963, and Marilyn Monroe was free to refuse him a BJ in 1962. He never met Princess Diana. Honest. I look forward to having your completely unbiased and overwhelmingly positive review of my DVD and Blu-ray. They will be released on August 21st. As for your families, well, that's up to you. Your loyal ally, and then it's you know his name in Arabic and in uh, and 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 signed with the little with Admiral the dot over the I and Admiral. It's a little heart. <laughs> well, because he he numb knew. P.S. Are you going to Saudi Gaddafi's Labor Day party in the Hamptons? If so, are you going to wear white? I always feel so overdressed. Anyway, this is hysterical. You know, uh, I, I I feel about the dictator the same way I feel about the campaign. Yeah, which is. I don't know that it is the scathing satire you want it to be, but it is very funny. It's very funny. And uh, this is our giveaway this week, but not just a giveaway. We're not just giving away the Blu-ray, Mark. We're not just giving away the Blu-ray. Here is our giveaway. I'm going to read it verbatim. Celebrate the glorious reign of uh, Admiral General Aladdin, Supreme Leader for Life of the Democratic Republic of Wadiya, um, with this uh, officially sanctioned home viewing party kit. The kit features all the essentials you'll need to show your unreserved and completely voluntary devotion to the almighty Aladdin, including a Wadian flag to wave continuously throughout the film, a Wadian notebook for documenting your ecstatic reactions, a re-elect Aladdin 2012 t-shirt to demonstrate your dedication to a free and open political system, and, of course, coconut water to stay hydrated. It all comes packaged in an eco-friendly reusable tote bag, which you should promptly discard as there is no such thing as global warming. So this is the uh, Blu-ray and DVD combo party viewing kit, Mark, the whole schmear. And uh, it is going to go to the person whose limerick we like the best. What? You just made that up. No. Who said that? It's, it's a limerick. There's a limerick contest. Wait, who, is that, was that? No. D- did you make that up or is that part of the no, thing? No, 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 that's not part of the thing. That's our thing. You, no, that ain't my thing. It's your thing. Well, it's, You just made that up. You pulled I, it out of your butt right now. I, I, I sorted that out with the well, publicists. See, did you really? Yeah. You did not. No, it was, it was I, I said, you know, we want to make the part, make it special. So it's, it's going to be a limerick contest. Right, whatever. Yeah. It's a limerick contest. So go ahead and send us your limericks about the dictator. Just send us a dictator uh, limerick. And it doesn't have to be about him, the dictator. It could be a limerick about any dictator. I will, you know what? I will actually give you your first line. There once was a man from Wadia. You know it's going to all sure. start like that. Sure, sure. But you could send us a limerick about Mussolini, about uh, Gaddafi. So about... What does that mean? So is it the one that we think is funniest? Yeah, whatever the funniest one is. We're going we're gonna to judge limericks. Wow. So um, send us your emails to gods at digigods.com. Put dictator in the subject line. Just dictator, D-I-C-T-A-T-O-R. And uh, give us a limerick and include your name and address, please. Yes, yeah, so uh, we don't have to want to chase after you yeah. after you've won yeah. to get your address. This only goes to one person, so it's going to be one person with a great limerick. So send us your cool limericks to uh, gods at digigods.com. Uh, dictator in the subject line. Include your name and address. And uh, we will be uh, taking those until midnight of uh, the... Um, uh, the 24th, Friday the 24th. So, uh, you know, you've got until uh, Friday the 24th. And it, just as long as it's, it doesn't matter midnight where, just as long as your email is date stamped the 24th, uh, we're good. And then we will announce it on the following show. Read some of the limericks. Read the best ones. The, the winning one, obviously. And uh, a very happy person is going to get this amazing uh, viewing kit along with the Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, combo kit, which includes a digital copy as well. Now, Mark, as for the movie itself, we hate it, don't we? No, yeah, we like it. We it's, do. it's funny. It is funny. It's, it's very really, funny. It's you really know, funny. It, it's very funny. Uh, it's a good looking Blu-ray. It's a it's a two it's a two four four zero to one transfer. So it's widescreen. It's digital, but 
unlike a lot of digital films, it doesn't look overly digital, mainly because there's a lot of stuff shot during the daytime, and daytime digital always looks better than nighttime digital. So it looks good. The audio quality is good. Uh, there are there's not a huge amount of extras. There are some deleted and extended scenes, which are very funny. There's a music video. There's an extended Larry King interview. And, uh, of course, it also includes a DVD and a digital copy. So I think this film is actually very funny. Uh, like I said before, you know, uh, I- except for the end where there's a very funny, very trenchant, very oh, pointed awesome. speech. Yeah. It, it may not be the political critique that you want it to be. It is still ultimately, when you look at it like the campaign, just very funny. I agree. I constantly laughed when I was watching it. I agree. No, I think so. I think so too. It's it's it's. Look, I, I Sasha Baron Cohen has no shame, and that's what I think makes it funny. And uh, the fact that it is, he originally proclaimed that it was based on Saddam Hussein's uh, unpublished uh, semi-autobiographical novel. I don't know how in any way it's even remotely based on that, but it doesn't matter. It was good PR. You know what? I think that the movies need someone like Sasha Baron Cohen. Hell yeah. Almost like, Absolutely. you know, the, we need like uh, Ricky Gervais. I agree. We, Zach Galifianakis. Yep. People you feel like they, they're they not in this box of being a leading man. I you agree. feel like they always surprise you. They always do something funny and interesting. There's not a lot of guys out there. In fact, I guess when Ricky Gervais and Sasha Baron Cohen and Galifianakis are probably – Pretty much the only three. I agree. Maybe there's a couple more, but yeah. I think that the movies need him. Even though his last film, the uh, what's the one about the um, what was his last film? Oh, before that, the one with the um, uh, hang on, I'm look <laughs> it up. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Can I can I look at can I look can I find it on uh, the internet fast and wait and think of it? I, I'm trying to think of what you're talking N- about. Uh, Bruno. Oh, Bruno. That's right. Jeez, I forgot about Bruno. Uh, Bruno, uh, not that funny. <laughs> Except for one say. moment. I got to tell what you. What was that? It's the, the, the montage that ends with Bruno. You remember that, right? Yes, I do. Who, who, what, 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 actual, what actually speaks the name Bruno in that little montage? Yes, yes. Oh, right. my gosh. That was funny. Yes, it was. Okay, anyway, moving right. on. Oh, and the, uh, that, <laughs> what, what, we were sitting in the screening of uh, Total Recall, killing like 10 minutes before the movie started. Yeah. I think it was Total Recall. Yeah. It was Total Recall. And you whipped out your computer, whipped out your computer. When I said whipped out, you thought something else was happening. No, no, computer. <laughs> and you showed me, because Gore Vidal had just died. Oh, that's and right. And I love yeah. Gore Vidal. Yeah. And you showed me Ali G interviewing oh, Gore Vidal. Oh, yes, yes. It's hysterical. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, point, point at which he, which he says, he says, in addition to being a historian and a writer and all this stuff, you were also like an amazing hairdresser. And he goes, <laughs> and he's straight-faced. Gore Vidal says, no, that's Vidal Sassoon. And he keeps it going with it. He, he doesn't let it go. He goes, so I, how do you style hair? I, 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 I wonder, do you think Gore Vidal knew who Ali, did, did no. he know it was a goof? <laughs> no, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I think he was just being really patient. All right, Wade. Uh, here we go. The other big release this week is The Hunger Games, which yeah. is on a uh, two-disc Blu-ray, which also includes a digital copy. Um, this movie does a great job hiding what it actually is, which is kids slaughtering other kids. Um, I did like this film. I thought it got the job done. I was not a big fan of uh, how Gary Ross visually presented the material, although it got a little less obnoxious as it went along. You know what yeah. it is? When you start with the problem with starting – with all the shaky cam stuff, mm-hmm. right? And maybe he does that because he wants to disorient you. He wants you to have. He wants you to be able to. He wants you to have to kind of work to figure out your environment. When you do that, when you start like that, the movie can't build to anything, right? Because you're disoriented and you're engaged in that sense from second one, as opposed to starting slow and the horrible, dead, leaden. Yeah. world that these people live in and then you ramp up the action so now the movie's got somewhere to go here it starts wild and crazy with the shaky cam and the quick cut edits I, so by the end it's not as exciting because it's just one long kind of uh, beat I, I you know what look it, it borrows from so many other movies that I like better you know Running Man and on and on and on and on you can, you can sort of fill in the blanks of all the post-apocalyptic films that it's sort of stealing from but uh, I I don't like, mind that it steals from other films everything steals from everything else no true it's just do you make it your but own but it doesn't it, it never felt fresh it, it, uh, it you know uh, uh, Logan's Run is obviously <gasps> Logan's totally. Run and, and at the same time look much as I love the actors in this film and I really do like almost all the actors I think they're great Jennifer Lawrence is terrific and Donald Sutherland is great but uh, you know it just didn't uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with the visuals I didn't like the photography just didn't like it I did not like the photography either um, but I think that uh, its target audience liked it a lot there you go. it made an unbelievable crap load of money 
with the sequels being inevitable and uh, being there shot, I think, back-to-back. Are they not being shot back-to-back? I don't, I don't know. even know. Francis Lawrence is doing the second one. Yeah. Francis Lawrence from... Which is um, a good... It's a good choice. Constantine, which I hated, but I Am Legend, yeah, which kind of had moments, and then, uh, yeah, I'm not... Um, I, I think this is going to be... Yeah. An interesting test for him. I agree. Uh, anyway, so Hunger Games, uh, does the Blu-ray look good? The Blu-ray looks great. It is a great-looking Blu-ray. It is a great-sounding Blu-ray. The second disc includes a whole bunch of um, featurettes, including something on the, uh, the uh, Suzanne Collins who wrote the, wrote the books yep. and the phenomenon of the books and the movie, yep. how, they made the, um, how they made the movie. Uh, interview with Gary Ross, who's the director. Of course, Gary Ross talking to Elvis Mitchell. Film critic Elvis Mitchell. Yep. And uh, so it's good. If you like Hunger Games, you right cannot on. not get this. Right on. And uh, Weekend. Here's the Weekend we're talking about. This is Weekend came out last year. It is uh, by Andrew Haig, an English filmmaker, his first film. And uh, you know what? To get the Criterion treatment for your first film, pretty impressive. That means you impressed the people at Criterion, because I guarantee you he didn't go chasing after this. Criterion went chasing after them and said, uh, we want to uh, ordain you with our awesomeness. And indeed they did. It's a great Blu-ray, a, ten, a terrific Blu-ray. I didn't think the film was that great looking, frankly, when I saw it, but um, Criterion makes it look better than I think it has any business looking. You know, it, this is not, again, not Godard's Weekend. This is the 2011 Weekend by Andrew Haig, which is basically uh, the story of a gay one-night stand, two men who, um, this, you know, un- from totally different backgrounds, who uh, their, their one-night stand kind of turns into a, a remarkable weekend of discovery and romance and, of course, sex. Um, if gay sex bothers you, and that's not to say that you know you may be homophobic, it's just you know look, it's a, it's it not it's not for everyone obviously. Then I don't recommend this movie because it's it's a very explicit film. If you're okay with it, um, it's a very rewarding film, and uh, I, I don't think it's a great film, but I think it's a very impressive uh, directing debut. It's very intimate. It's uh, it's it, surprisingly explicit, yet not in a gratuitous way, and. Um, uh, it, it's worth watching. It's grown on me more over over time, um, and I think Andrew Haig is a very talented filmmaker, and I really look forward to seeing what he does next. That being said, uh, I wish the extras on here were better. There's a, a lot of extras, as Criterion often does, but it's all kind of, you know, it's sort of uh, predictable stuff. It's, uh, you know, a lot of interviews and, and uh, you know, on-set footage that uh, other people shot and, you know, some audition footage, video essay, that kind of stuff. It's, uh, so, you know, a couple of short films by Haig as well, which are interesting and, and certainly will be more interesting as he makes more feature films and we get a sense of where he's going as an artist. So that being said, I really do recommend it. Not, you know, my, uh, like, top Blu-ray of the week, but it's a very, very good film. You know, okay, I, I liked it more than you did, and the reason why I liked it more than you did is because I felt like it was very attentive to the details of modern courtship, right. even more than relationships. And I think that if this if this relationship was not a gay relationship, I totally. think people would have enjoyed it a lot. Yes. People would have been more accepting of it. I agree. But because it's quite explicit, well, and it's very, it's it, it just feels very authentic. That's the thing. And and look, here's the, here, here. I mean, we're getting into kind of brokeback mountain territory here. I mean, my first reaction to this was, I don't think what's so special. If this were not specifically a gay film, it it would just be another one of those, you know, man meets a woman. And there've been a million of these. The friendship make like ten of these movies every year. You know, a pornographic affair. Uh, with the, with Mew Mew and and uh, that, uh, what's his name uh, Gonzalez Steve. or whatever the, the Spanish actor that you know that was kind of the same thing and I just thought well I mean I've seen this done better from the hetero angle but if you watch it again you realize that it, it really does it really does some very very delicate and sensitive things that are very interesting so I, uh, I you know it, it's grown on me over time see yeah see I, I made you reevaluate you did thank you. And then we got Bernie. Uh, you know, Bernie is an interesting film. I wish it were a better film. Uh, Richard Linklater tried to do some very, very interesting things here. This stars Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine and Matthew McConaughey. It is the true story of a guy in Texas who was this kind of very fey, possibly homosexual. Um, it's really is a very strong undertow in it. Funeral director who winds up uh, sort of, in, you know, everyone loved him, but he's very, very meticulous and very outgoing, almost to a creepy degree. And this guy literally wound up killing this sort of old dowager that he ingratiated himself into her life and, uh, you know, wound up basically taking over her life and her money and everything. And, he, you know, before that, he was, a, he was in the choir and the church and the whole thing. You know, he, he was the last person anyone would have expected to, to murder anybody. Matthew McConaughey, of course, is the, uh, the, uh, the police chief, the sheriff who, you know, solves everything. Uh, and it's, the whole thing is done in a really interesting way because a lot of the people who were part of this, uh, these events originally... 
they are interviewed, you know, kind of like Warren Beatty did with Reds. There are these actual interviews, like documentary interviews with them as they talk about Bernie, and Bernie did this, and Bernie did that. And then you get back into the movie, and you're always popping out of the movie into these, these real documentary-style interviews and then back in. It's a very interesting thing. And Linklater is a, a very talented director. He did a good job with Black in um, uh, School of Rock, which I think is a terrific film. And you know what? That's, that might be my – well, that and uh, – That's the, my favorite Linklater film, far it, and away. It could kind of be. Yeah. Uh, this is a, this is a fun film, um, but it's not a great film. It just kind of barely misses it, and I'm not quite sure why. It's a, it, which frustrates me to no end because Jack Black is terrific, but definitely worth seeing. At least worth a rental. The Blu-ray is fine, uh, not brilliant. This is a, uh, from Millennium, and uh, you know they don't put as much into their Blu-rays as I wish they did. Really, no special features, just deleted scenes in the featurette, and uh, you know so at least worth a rental, but probably doesn't have to be on Blu-ray. Uh, what also doesn't have to be on Blu-ray is a Let Go. And, of course, it's not on Blu-ray, so there you go. Uh, this is the uh, first film from a, a young writer-director named Brian Jett. And this is an interesting kind of film. The only person you probably will have really heard of is uh, Ed Asner. And if you want to see Ed Asner toting a, uh, a, a pistol... Oh, yeah. ...then you need to see... Uh, Big time. ...Let Go. Okay. Uh, you know what? This is kind of a... It's a quirky little film. I kind of... Uh, it kind of grows on you. I think that really this feels like the film that Jet is using to sort of learn on the job, and then he will eventually go on to make right. better films sure. that are a little bit more uh, conceptually complete and a little more stylistically interesting with scripts that are a little bit... Uh, less sort of like, oh, look at me, I'm like an indie Sundance twee thing. Yeah. Um, but for now, you have a, uh, he's, this guy's a, uh, David Denham plays his parole officer, and uh, he's in a marriage that's not that happy, and then he meets these ex-cons, and they kind of turn his life around. I like Kevin Hart. Huh? I like Kevin Hart. You do? I do. I uh, think he's funny. But Ed Asner. I know. He was Luke I'm Grant. just saying I like Kevin Hart. He's Lou Grant. I know. <laughs> anyway, so um, there's stuff here that really isn't that bad. I feel like this is uh, almost like Brian's, not his first film, but his, like, 0.5. Yeah. He hasn't made his first film yet. This is his, like, 0.5 film. And the next film he makes, I think we'll get a better sense of how he's going to be as a director, whether he, will de- whether he will develop his own sensibility. Yeah. But this isn't a horrible start for him. No. Let go. What is horrible is a movie called Hell. Now, this is from the executive producer of, two, of uh, the movie 2012, which means absolutely nothing. And uh, here, this is a, a movie about, uh, uh, you know, with the, it's, it's one of those post-apocalyptic yeah. type things where, like, the world is, is, is a barren the, wasteland. The, the, lo- and, the logo just and tells no you. And there's water, and this girl's got a girl and his sister have to find, who cares? The, art, the artwork tells you everything. It's got hell and this kind of blood-drippy, graffiti-drawn logo, and then, a, you know, some guy in, like, a gas mask and people holding axes and crap in the reflection. It's like, okay, it's after the apocalypse. You can't breathe the air. People are going to try and kill you, and it's going to be bloody. That's done. Seriously, it's great. It's great marketing. It tells you everything. Well, also, I didn't watch it, and I know exactly what it is. It 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 does kind of have that like Hunger Gamesy thing where people in the wilderness are trying to you know survive. But there's a million films like this that are out there, and uh, you know, there's again, it's pretty quick cut. So that's quick cut music stings. That's kind of how they get the scares as opposed to creating some serious tension. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's a million movies like this. I wouldn't necessarily recommend Hell unless you've seen all the other ones, but uh, there you go. And it's, it's a little low budget, so even though it's on Blu-ray, it's not like a Blu-ray showcase film. You know, I, I have such mixed feelings about Hideaway starring Josh Lucas. This film won the uh, Cinematography Award at South by Southwest Film Festival. And it's directed by Chris Eyre, who, of course, did uh, Smoke Signals and became kind of a big deal at Sundance at that time. I've never thought much of Chris Eyre as a director until this film, to be honest. I, I really thought he was incredibly overrated. And this film is really, really well directed. Uh, Josh Lucas just gives a... a crazy good performance, one of the best performances he's ever given, and I liked him a lot in the, uh, the uh, what was it, the... the, 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 the that, that basketball thing he did? Not the basketball thing? No, not thing the basketball thing. No, 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 no. The one, it was one of the first things he... Ah, forget it. I'll, uh, I'll, well, what, who, I'll think t- of, Tell me who he played. No, no, I, I'm trying to remember. The, the, Explain the, the, the it. Deep end, will, the deep end. Well, the deep end. The deep end. Oh, the deep end. What yeah. happened to him, by the way? That guy doesn't really work much anymore. I think he's kind of like lost it. He never became a leading man. He, no. 
He's too. He's kind of too handsome to be a supporting character. Well, he's really good in this. I mean, the problem here is that this is a beautiful looking film. It's incredibly well acted. James Cromwell is great. But, but this is a story. It's basically about a guy who's you know you you know this from the beginning. His family's dead. You know, his wife and child done gone. <laughs> Snub. Hey, you okay? Well, I'm, cl- I'm crying because his wife and child are dead. Snuffed out. And so he sort of retreats from life. <laughs> snuffed and out. Snuffed out. <laughs> In he, a gangland slang. <laughs> well, no. You, you, you see how it happened. It's, it's basically an auto accident. But, you know, he sort of retreats into this. He buys a boat and retreats into the boat. And, you know, Cromwell's another one of the people in the boating community. And it's just about a guy mourning his, his horrible life and, and trying to get it restarted again. Yeah, but you know what? There, there's, okay, it's, there are it's, a lot of movies that do that, I know. It's very poignant and it's, it's very sincere. But, you know, you, you, have, you, have, you have all these lines of dialogue like, you know, like uh, there was one line that was like, "You can't change the direction of the wind, but you can you can <laughs> adjust right. your sails." Like all yeah. that sort of like you know yeah. allegorical dialogue that's uh, just kind of yeah. like a little bit a little bit sappy. But you know, it's again, it's a very sincere, very well-meaning film. So uh, I have to say that uh, it, you know, I I guess you can enjoy it on that level. Right, yeah. But uh, otherwise, it's just a little too maudlin for me. I agree. And then we have a thing here called the Bunny Game. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo. Um, you know what? This film was allegedly banned in the UK, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a... Boy, how honestly do you describe this? Uh, this is a very, very strange, unusual, avant-garde, daring, low-budget, and kind of aggressively, assaultively shocking black-and-white film that um, it's pretty much for people who just want... you know. Here's here's what I would say. If you hate everything about the way the movies are today, you will love this because it just goes, it just screws with everything. It's just a complete counterculture, punk rock kind of retro black and white uh, fable. And uh, now, how, now, how does this compare with the Brown Bunny? Much more shocking. And that's the thing I probably have with it is that it's in, it's intentionally shocking and kind of a gory and sadistic way. And I wish they didn't. They hadn't gone there if they had just kind of stuck with the style. But anyway, the bunny game. You know, let's just say this is um, call it uh, call it saw for um, for the art film set. Well, that would be a uh, compliment, I guess. And then we have Zach Parker's Scalene, S-C-A-L-E-N-E. The truth is just a point of view. This is, uh, this is kind of a cool little thriller from Breaking Glass. It's um, a little bit Rashomon-like. Uh, you, you sort of, it's told from three different points of view. And, um, uh, you know, not, not bad. I mean, it's made on a shoestring. You could tell they spent actually no money whatsoever. But I love the fact that, you know, with this no-name cast and no money that they were able to um, still be very daring and put together a film that, uh, you know, really tries to do something different. And when you don't have a lot of money and you know you're going to have a problem marketing it, that's always uh, an uphill battle. So bravo to uh, Zach Parker, who I know nothing about, frankly, as as a filmmaker. But, gosh, I hope somebody uh, gives him enough money to make a movie with, you know, named stars and, and kind of take it up a level because given what they did with this film and, and the limitations, I think uh, they could do something really interesting, babble-like, in the next, in the next uh, phase. So go for it. Uh, Wade, there's another movie we want to talk about called uh, Life Happens. Life Happens is a uh, kind of a female uh, empowerment yeah. ensemble comedy. It's with uh, Kristen Ritter, Kate Bosworth, and Rachel Bilson. And um, uh, Kristen Ritter plays a girl who becomes pregnant, and she's having problems raising the kid. And so her other girlfriends kind of they're jumping back on the dating team while trying to help her out. And as she deals with single motherhood. And, you know, this is kind of one of those movies that takes, like, a real situation and turns it into something completely artificial and uh, just, like, kind of unfunny. Um, it's very much a trifle. It doesn't really add up to all that much. It's totally paper thin. Um, I think they, that the actresses definitely have a, uh, a fun time with it. I wish that the movie had a little bit more to say about what it's actually telling us. Um, but it's kind of a muddle, and uh, and I do like the fact that it does star three women in a comedy, which is kind of rare, so I understand why it didn't get a theatrical release, or a very tiny theatrical release is what it got. But uh, anyway, so Life Happens is not very good. It takes a real-life situation and turns it into, like, nothing. But you know what the good news is? Yeah. At least Life Happens doesn't star Katherine Heigl. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? And, and that's what important. It, oh. 
All right, Mark, i got a pile of Disney titles here. They are all Blu-ray DVD combos. They've all been blown out this week, and they are all, with the exception of the one I'm going to talk about right now, super significant. Uh, the first one is, uh, is the only one that's not animated. This is Disney Nature's Chimpanzee, which was released last year. And uh, basically, a, you know, Disney Nature is doing a lot of this stuff. This is a very aggressive arm of Disney that seems to be pulling its own uh, financially. They send their great documentary filmmakers and their fabulous cameras deep into the heart of the uh, African jungle, and they find a really cute little chimp. They name him Oscar. I don't think he knows that his name is Oscar. Yes, he does, because uh, he's cute. And I think the fact they named him Oscar kind of annoys me because it's sort of like... You know, give us an Oscar. No, no, no. They didn't do it for no, that reason. I don't know. Anyway, you know what? Look, it's a good film. If you if you like uh, sort of these these movies where they just delve into the uh, the inner workings of uh, chimpanzee society, frankly, I think chimps are just creepy. Because all I can think of is every time somebody you know like has a pet chimp, it winds up going crazy and biting somebody's genitals off and ripping their face into. And uh, I no longer think that chimpanzees are really, uh, you know, quite as cute as Dr. Zayas. No, no, I'm sorry. Dr. Zayas was not cute. No, Dr. Zayas, not cute. Um, now, Zira, yeah, Zira smoking. Yeah, t- delicious. <laughs> delicious. Zira, delicious. Anyway, that's chimpanzee. Uh, beautiful looking. I just find them creepy. And uh, the animated stuff, here we go. Boy, we're going to blow through these. Uh, the Rescuers, 35th Anniversary Edition, and The Rescuers Down Under. Love them both. Could I just say I love them both? I love Bob Newhart. love Eva Gabor. I think these movies are so much fun, and Disney nailed it. Nailed it with the Blu-ray. It is fantastic. I've been waiting for The Rescuers and The Rescuers Down Under for on Blu-ray forever, and they are gorgeous. Honestly, fantastic, Disney. Bravo. Even better is the Blu-ray DVD special edition of The Aristocats, one of my favorite all-time Disney animated films. I am so elated this is finally out. It is great. Tons and tons of bonus features. Unfortunately, it's all on it's it's DVD. Disc 2 is a DVD. Disc 1 is just is all, is all the Blu-ray stuff, which has some of its own features, but you know, it'd be nice if it was all high def. All high def. That's all I'm asking for. And by the way, same thing on the uh, on the Rescuers Down Under, the, which is three discs. The disc two and three extra stuff is all uh, all DVD. Blu-ray is uh, disc one. And uh, then we've got uh, Pocahontas and Pocahontas 2. This is a two-movie collection on three discs. Uh, Pocahontas 2, The Revenge? You know what? Uh, Pocahontas 2, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, forget it. It's just stupid and horrible, and it's here only as a DVD. Blu-ray is uh, reserved for Pocahontas. One of the weaker films, which has some good, uh, some good songs, just around the river bend. But, uh, you know, it, it, I, I recommend it for Pocahontas, not Pocahontas 2. You could, you could do without all that stuff. Then we also have Lady and the Tramp 2, Scamp's Adventure, which is surprisingly good, to be honest. Uh, it's got some sing-alongs on the DVD, but uh, all the other cool extras are on the Blu-ray. And um, it ain't bad, really. I, w- I was shocked. Uh, all those years later, when you resurrect a classic and you try to sort of whore off of it, once being pretty good. Uh, the, and lastly is a movie that really I thought we were going to give our animation award to because everybody was really high on it and we wound up not doing it. But it's the Tigger movie, which like we were not. We we almost we were going to give our animation award to the Tigger movie. There were so many people that were pushing for this. Don't really? you remember that? I do not. A lot of people were pushing for the Tigger movie. Not Charles Solomon. Yeah, he was actually kind of sort of. <laughs> Anyway, uh, this is the Bounce-A-Rific Special Edition. Lots of R's in the Bounce-A-Rific. And uh, you know what? They still really do know what makes uh, Winnie the Pooh work. The animation is seamless. You would never know that so many years have intervened. And it's fun. It's true to the spirit of the original. And the Blu-ray is just fantastic. Um, a lot of Pooh shorts on here, by the way. Tons. There's like, like a, I think Shorts ten, about Pooh? Ten, yes, exactly. <laughs> shorts shorts about Pooh, Wade? Ten, ten Winnie the Pooh shorts on here. And uh, it's delightful. It's delightful. It's just delightful. The kids are going to love it. And uh, if you have a big TV, the Blu-ray just blows off of it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Wade, as we uh, wrap up the show for this week, um, Goodwill Hunting has been on Blu-ray a couple times. And now we have another one. This yep. is the 15th anniversary of Goodwill Hunting. Uh, this film... Is a, it's a really good film. It really is. If you're, if you're afraid that it doesn't hold up, uh, worry not. It definitely holds up. Uh, Robin Williams won an Oscar for this, as did screenwriters Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. And, of course, if you don't remember in the film, uh, Matt Damon uh, is like the janitor at like the most – one of the, uh, you know, the U.S.'s like top universities. But it turns out he's not just the janitor. turns out, surprise, surprise, he's one of their smartest students. No. Now, it sounds kind of ridiculous. Like, that's kind of lame. But you know what? It's a heartfelt film. It's a good movie. Uh, I think that uh, it, it's an intimate film, but it's also very funny. 
uh, Matt Damon, I feel, kind of has never really gotten his due as an actor. And although here he's obviously much younger and he hasn't really kind of found his way as an actor, I still like him in this. And I think he doesn't get his due as an actor, but he's good in this. And Gus Van Zandt has a lot to do with the, with the, uh, with the way the movie comes across. Because like we're saying before about some of these other films, Gus Van Zandt is a very authentic director. He's, he, he embraces the emotions in a film, but yep. he still lets the humor come through. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a terrific film. It's a touching film. And, uh, you know, it seems like, oh, Good Will Hunting is like kind of lame. It's so right. old and who cares? And, but you know what? Holds up. A lot of the extras were on the uh, previous uh, Blu-ray, although there are some new extras, including a uh, retrospective with some new interviews. And, uh, you know, an interview with Matt Damon remembering the film. So, you know, if you have the previous Blu-ray, do you need this Blu-ray? I'm going to say kind of not. But if you don't have Goodwill Hunting on Blu-ray, get this one, the 15th anniversary edition. It is a good film. Totally holds up. Very good film. And, uh, you know, I give uh, William Goldman all the credit in the world for coaching those guys into taking their little thrillery screenplay and turning it into something character-driven. And I also give William Goldman uh, credit for constantly not taking credit. Yes. He always... Claims that, it was, that it's all Damon and Affleck. It's yeah. their script. It's he's their script. Class act, man. How old is he now, by the way? Um, I think he's about uh, 26 years old. Find that information. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna Maybe re- I will. You know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to find that information out, Wade. Before we get into our Vox Box, and by the way, I'll remind you right now, send us emails at godsdigigods.com. Also send us your Vox Boxes at godsdigigods.com. If you don't know what the Vox Box is, if you're a newcomer to the show, um, recording, recorded in any sound format. We're, we're miracles here. We can, we can read anything. Uh, 81 just, years old. Jeez. So send us your Vox boxes, and uh, you know if they're about William Goldman or not. I don't care. But uh, send your questions, your audio questions. Try to keep them somewhat, uh, you know, constrained. Like a, a minute-long question isn't bad. Um, but you know, like a 20-minute lecture, I don't think we could run that on the show. But uh, send those to godsdigigods.com if you can record them. Uh, and uh, right now, I'm going to wrap up with, before we get to the Vox Box with a bunch of catalog titles from some companies that we really love. And that starts with Twilight Time. You can only get the Twilight Time titles at ScreenArchives.com. That's ScreenArchives.com. That's the only place you can find these, and you've got to go there because you've got to get these titles. Mark, on Blu-ray, we talk about this. Why do these companies that, that have these, li- these output agreements where they license titles from the studios... I don't know why the studios let them go. I'm grateful they do. But how could Sony Columbia let Bye Bye Birdie go? Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? This is one of the great, joyous musicals of all time. I love this movie. This is tons and tons of fun. Uh, and margaret stars in uh, the uh, film version of Bye Bye Birdie, beautifully directed by uh, a veteran musical director, George Sidney, who did so many great films. Twilight Time just bloody nails it with the Blu-ray. It is a great time. Also from uh, Twilight Time and at ScreenArchives.com is an unusual and un- largely unknown Blake Edwards film starring Bing Crosby called High Time. And uh, this, y- good luck if you've ever even heard of this. I, th- it's weird. This is one of those Blake Edwards movies that just vanished uh, into sort of the, the history books. It's an older Bing Crosby. He's made in 1960. And he plays a restaurant uh, owner, kind of a big-time a big restaurant uh, ma- maven, who uh, decides to go back to college. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. It's not quite like Back to School, the Rodney Dangerfield movie. Obviously, it's not that broad, uh, but it hits a lot of the same beats. And um, it's not a bad movie at all. You know, it's kind of a, a for-hire job for Blake Edwards. And uh, I think he does a, a very, very workmanlike job. A lot of very, very, it's, a, you know, it's, it's good. Garson Kanan, uh, Charles Brackett were involved as writer and producer. It's a, you know, it was a bit of a big deal at the time, I guess, but just faded from the history books. And then uh, we have a whole bunch of great films from Olive, who licenses most of their titles from the Paramount Library. And uh, real quickly here, just as we're getting close to the end of the show, we've got uh, Helen Hayes and Van Heflin, Robert Walker, and Dean Jagger in Leo McCary's My Son John. Leo McCary, of course, did uh, Going My Way, Bells of St. Mary's, uh, tons of movies. Real real great great, uh, classic uh, studio director. And um, this is an interesting drama um, that, you know, deals with a couple who's very, very religious, played by Helen Hayes and Dean Jagger. And um, they think, just maybe, 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 that their son, Robert Walker, is gay, is a communist. He's gay? Yes. They think he's a communist. A gay communist? Uh, well, anyway, it's an interesting film from the from the Red Scare area, and it's uh, it's it, you know it, it it dates a little bit. I think people who didn't grow up during the Cold War, who didn't know about all that, 
Um, but uh, it, it's a, you know, it, it certainly is a product of its time, and I think it's a film that's well worth watching again. Um, Captain Carey, USA, starring Alan Ladd. I, I always enjoy watching Alan Ladd films because my father used to tell me Alan Ladd stories. Mm. This is kind of a cool post-World War II a spy film with, uh, you know, it takes place in Italy and a lot of twists and turns. Uh, not exactly like the you know the Bourne films, but it's uh, it's it's good. Uh, not brilliant, but good. And, and a nice Blu-ray, quite a nice con- uh, transfer there. Private Hell 36, starring Ida Lupino and Steve Cochran, and also Dean Jagger, who we mentioned just a second ago. This is one of those uh, Don Siegel films, pre-Dirty Harry, and and uh, you know sort of more around the time of uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, from 1954, where you, you sort of realize that Don Siegel is pushing things in an entirely different direction. This is a very, very cool film noir that feels like a more modern film noir. It's uh, it's raw and it's claustrophobic and it's uh, it, it, and Ida Lupino is great in it. So if you love film noirs and if you want to see Ida Lupino, just nail it as the femme fatale. You're going to love it. And then Stephen King's Thinner from 19, what was this, 1995, 96, somewhere there in the this late 90s. This is lame. I wanted to like it, but it's lame. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, this, I, I, I had forgotten that this even existed. This was just, uh, this is a stupid film. And uh, Tom Holland, who directed it, made a lot of crap back then. And uh, I had, I'm thrilled that, uh, that Olive is pulling stuff from other libraries. This is, you know, this was released by Paramount, but it was an Aaron Spelling production at the time. And uh, I, boy, poof, jeez. Um, wow. I don't know. You know, if, if, you, if you like those uh, Stephen King things from that period, there really weren't very many good ones, but there were a lot of bad ones. All right, Mark, it is, uh, it is time to do the Vox Box. Wait, is it time to sing the song? You better do it. You know, where you realize in one month the Bond 50 Blu-ray comes out. I know. Come on, Mark. Okay, okay here we go. Lead us in. It's Vox Box. Hey, Mark and Wade. My name is Levy, and I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and I am an aspiring film critic. First of all, I would like to thank you for making my long and arduous bus trip home from a distant university much more bearable and enjoyable. My question today is in regards to what it's like to be a film critic. Uh, From my extensive research and fangirl-like following of your rants on stupid film movies, I'm aware that one of the more unpleasant aspects of being a film critic is the fact that you can't pick the movies you want to watch, um, and that after many hours a week spent on watching movies, boring films which may be bearable to the average film lover may be unbearable to you guys. However, um, I think that there's another aspect of which is beyond the point of unbearable boredom, and that's unbearable provocation of your morals. Um, Has there been a time in your professional writing life when you walked out of a film screening due to the fact that you were so uncomfortable with the obvious promotion or exploitation of something horrible? Um, that despite how much you want to be a professional um, and how much you want to be objective, you can't help but be horrified and you just want to escape. I mean, uh, I know that Roger Ebert has claimed to have walked out of the screening of Caligula years ago. Um, I know that breaking moral grounds is something that films do often, with the results of which demonstrate beauty or it encourages discussion and all is is sort of well in the end. Um, But there are those films which primary goal is just to generate negative publicity for commercial sake. Um, lastly, I was wondering if, especially after many years of um, being exposed to these kinds of films, do you feel like they changed you in any way, and are they for the, for the positive or for the negative? Um, I'm sorry, but that's a bit nosy. Um, and, yeah, thank you for continuing uh, doing your podcast. Bye. Levy, I, I'm going to be honest. You, you have the most adorable Australian accent, and I just I love Australian accents. I really do. Australian and Jamaican accents, I can't get enough of them. That's why I watch the Olympics. I watch the Olympics for all the Australians and the Jamaicans to just talk to the camera. It's just great. What I want her to email us, mm-hmm. or maybe send us another Vox box, and I want to know the difference between an Australian accent and a New Zealand accent. I've and, had it explained to me, and, and it why, makes no sense. But why it offends one if you if you mistake it for the other. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. All right, well, so have we ever been moral, so morally offended by a film that we... Well, I'll, I have not, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, very few films like that are released right now. It's just not that kind of a time. I would imagine that even if I was asked to see something like The Human Centipede, uh, I would probably uh, recuse myself from reviewing it because I know I would hate it. I was not asked to review that. That was reviewed yeah. by somebody else. Right. But if someone had said, would you like to re- review The Human Centipede, I would have said no, because I know I'm going to hate it. Uh, 
I did actually once, only once, and and you know you do get it, it kind of dulled to it. And there are movies that sort of uh, hit you in the wrong way, and you're, you you think. But only once have I ever actually walked out of a movie. And I'll tell you, it was it was a Hong Kong movie, believe it or not. I was at the American Film Festival, American, sorry, American Film Market, and uh, there was a film that was being sold there, starring the actress who uh, stars in the great Hong Kong film Black Cat. And I thought, oh man, that's great! I've never seen this film. I never heard of it. I thought it was a new film. Turns out it was an older film, a pre-Black Cat film that she had done before she was a significant star. She's not even really the star of it. They were just using her to market it, and they had changed the title. And they were sort of not letting anyone know that it was an older film. They'd taken that older film, tried to market it as, as a newer film, uh, something completely that it wasn't. And it was, about, it was about five minutes into the film when I realized what it was, that it was this older film, which is actually almost snuff film offensive. It's a, it's a serial killer film uh, where they're looking for a guy who's kidnapping young prostitutes in Hong Kong and dismembering them. And it, uh, it got to the scene where he has uh, a woman hanging on a meat hook and he is raping her, and then he goes and he pulls out the chainsaw to cut her up, and it was at that moment that I said, you know what, I never wanted to see this film. I'm so offended, not only by the content of the film and the unbelievably gratuitous, uh, exploitive nature of where it's going, but I'm really offended that they, they, they fooled me into coming into it by pretending that it was something other than it wasn't, and I walked out. It's the only time I've ever done that. I mean, the only time you get stuff like that, again, like we said before, is, is, is some of this torture porn stuff. Yeah. That tends to be the modern equivalent of those films, of like the Saw films. Yeah. Uh, those, I don't know that they morally offend me. I just find them offensive only because uh, they try to scare the audience in the most yeah. basest way possible. They're just not creative enough to do it like the way real filmmakers do it. Yep. Uh, I know uh, years ago at Cannes there was a film called Irreversible. Yeah. That included uh, a like a nine minute uninterrupted take of Monica Bellucci getting raped. Yeah. And uh, that was offensive to people at Cannes. In fact, when that film was over, I, I remember I, I I yelled Palm Door when that film was over. <laughs> you know, uh, and 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 in answer to the second question, uh, what have what has watching all these movies done to us? You know what I my my kind of textbook. It's, it's made me single. That's what it's done. It's it's it, it, it's kept me from meeting a woman. I'll tell you, it, it, it's amazing how many film critics really are single. I, I feel uh, <laughs> it really, it, it really is. True. You sit there in Lafka and you look around at how many of them are married, much less how many have kids. You kind of go, geez, this is not. This is like being a, a cop or something. Um, no, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, my, my textbook answer to that is usually I, I enjoy fewer films today. I enjoy very few films, but the ones that I do enjoy, I enjoy immensely because they're, it's like finding a diamond you know, in a haystack. It really... Uh, but they're fewer and far between, and, and really, it's become a chore. Uh, the, the weeks that I do radio for NPR, and this next week is another one of them, I'm going to have to spend the better part of this weekend watching, like, you know, eight or nine movies. Uh, and I'm not looking forward to any of them, to be honest, except for compliance. So it, uh, it does get to be a chore at a certain point. Does it change you in any significant way? Yeah, it dulls your sensibilities to the shock factor. But you really do appreciate the movies that can touch you emotionally. When you can sit there in something like The Artist or La Vie en Rose or Jean de Florette or whatever it may be, and a movie brings you to tears, um, it just reminds me that uh, my humanity is alive and well no matter how callous the other movies have made. I, I remember sitting, this is the most recent example I can think of because it's been a bad year for movies so far, but I remember sitting in Moonrise Kingdom saying, oh my God, okay. Totally right. This is why I love yeah. movies. Yeah. This is it. I am just... Wash over me and make me love movies again, Moonrise Kingdom. There we and, go. Uh, and it did. You know, but again, you know, because all of these movie studios are run by gigantic multi-conglomerates, yep. uh, mm -hmm. you tend to get a certain type of movie during a certain type of the year, which means the only decent movies that come out come out in the fall and, uh, let's True. say, the winter. You know, at the beginning of the year, it tends to be movies that the studios dump out there because yeah. uh, they're terrible and there's no other place for them on the schedule. You know, Memorial Day through the summer, you get the big blockbusters, yep. you know, and some of the big block, blockbusters don't get credit for being as good or at least trying to be as decent as they are. You know, again, the, the Christopher Nolan films, uh, the Batman films are great. I thought Avengers was terrific. So, you know, there is stuff out there. There are people trying, even something like Prometheus, which I think kind of failed. At least I felt like it kind of tried. Uh, but when it comes to the films that make film critics really get jazzed, you know, everybody wants to see The Master. That's Boy, what everybody Boy, wants to see. They. Boy, do they. You know, and that's one of those films where you're like, yes, I am looking forward to this film. Levy, thank you. What a great question. Really appreciate it. Uh, big shout out to you and every, all your mates out there in Melbourne. It's uh, 
dying to go there someday. Really want to go there. So uh, it's, one, it's on my big uh, bucket list items. Um, please email us your, uh, your emails or your um, uh, Vox boxes at gods at digigods.com. And send us, if you want to enter the, uh, the Dictator uh, special party kit contest, one person will win it. Just send us an email with a great limerick about either this Dictator or any Dictator. At uh, gods at digigods.com, put the word dictator in the subject line, and we will uh, make sure that it gets to us date stamped no later than uh, the 24th, Friday, August 24th, 2012. We'll announce the winner next week, along with, uh, we'll read some of the limericks. We'll have a good time with this one, and uh, we will see you guys next week. <laughs>